You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. When they treat you like a servant, that reveals your heart. And so here's Paul. The Apostle Paul, he did not expect to be treated like he was the great Apostle Paul. You know, he, 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 he wasn't expecting to be given you know, the, the Church Planter of the Year Award. And, and he was not disappointed that they forgot Apostles Appreciation Day. <laughs> you know, Paul had a, had a sober view of himself. How did he view himself? As the lowest of the low, the under rower, the servant. And so therefore, he was not surprised when they started treating him like a servant. They didn't treat him like he was the Apostle Paul. The, the, the one who was leading the church, they treated him like a servant and he wasn't surprised by that. And listen, what, what, whatever your thankless environment is, you know, maybe, maybe it's a ministry context like it was for Paul. Then again, maybe it's your marriage, a thankless marriage. Or, or then again, maybe it's the workplace, an unappreciative workplace. Listen, whatever your thankless environment is, can I say to you this morning that you are the Lord's servant in that place? He's put you there for a reason. He's allowed you to be in that thankless environment for a reason. He's put you there to bring him the glory. This is why it says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, listen, that can be whatever you do in your marriage, whatever you do in your neighborhood, whatever you do in your workplace, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working as for the Lord and not for men. And so what kept Paul going in the thankless environment of Corinth? What kept him going was he had a sober view of himself. He didn't think more highly of himself than he ought. He simply saw himself as the lowest of the low, as the servant of Christ. Now with that, verse 3, now we look at the criticizing Corinthians. Verse 3, Paul says, But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Now, I told you a couple weeks ago, I was at the Senior Pastors Conference for, for Calvary Chapel Pastors out in California, and my, my wife and I were out there, and it was interesting. A lot of the guys, a lot of the pastors were, were talking about how hard, how difficult the last two years of ministry have been for, for pastors in this particular day. I mean, in this day where, where there's, there's so much strife, there's, there's so much infighting, there's so much division, and it's like, no matter what choices, no, what, what decisions you make as a pastor, someone somewhere is going to be angry with you. Someone somewhere is, is, is going to be upset. In fact, just a couple of months ago, back in May, uh, the, the Washington Post uh, re- released an article where they said that, that pastoral burnout is at an all-time high in the United States of America. In fact, they point out that that more pastors have quit the ministry in these past two years than have in the last 25 years. Now, the the reasons for for, for burnout, the reasons that so many pastors are leaving, according to this article, is uh, the top reasons for stress that cause them to quit are are things like like conspiracy theories that are are sweeping through the church or or this whole debate on on getting vaccinated or not getting vaccinated or, for that matter, being open or, or being closed during the pandemic. Or, or being masked or unmasked. And then before that, there was the controversial 2020 election. And then, of course, before that was, was the response to the death of George Floyd. And on top of all of that, now there's this new pressure to shift all things church to the digital world. And it's a new world for many pastors. And all this combined is the reason, as I said, more pastors have left the ministry in the last two years than in the last 25 years. 
fact, I was at a pastor's conference where a pastor named Alistair Begg. Now, some of you listen to Alistair Begg on the radio. And if you do, you know that, that, that he pastors a church in Cleveland, Ohio, but he's originally from Scotland. And so at this conference, uh, somebody asked him in a, in, a, in a Q&A forum, and they asked him, they said, you know, uh, pastor, they said, have you ever felt like quitting the ministry? To which Alistair Begg turned and he said, every Sunday I decide to quit a ministry after church. But every Monday morning, I decided to give it one more a week. <laughs> Listen, the Apostle Paul understood that pressure. Believe me, the Apostle Paul understood this, this pressure like, 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 like we're talking about. How do I know that? Because of the word judged. Look at verse 3 again. He says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. Now, we're judged. Uh, it, it's a word that Paul uses four times in just a handful of verses. Now, if you're reading from the New American Standard Bible, yours says examined instead of judged, but it's the same word. In the original language, it's the Greek word anakrino. It, it, it's, a, it's a word that, that means looking for someone's faults, looking for someone's defects. It's a word that can be translated scrutinized or criticized. And so this tells us that the Corinthians were, were always pointing out Paul's mistakes, always pointing out Paul's failures. They, they, they weren't looking for the positives in the ministry. They, they weren't looking for the things that were going well. They were always pointing out his mistakes and his failures. How do we know that? Well, because we have, we have different examples. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we see that, that the Corinthian church criticized Paul for never being there, never being there when they wanted him to be there. Now, never mind the fact that the reason he couldn't be there is because at the moment he was on a ship in chains on his way to be imprisoned. Well, you know, it's a little inconvenient to come right now. But you know, they're like, hey, you know, if, if he really cared, he would be there. And so they, they were criticizing him for not being there when they wanted him to be there. And also in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we, we see that, that they, they challenged his authority. They, 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 they questioned his, 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 his leadership. They challenged whether or not he really was a quote-unquote real apostle, like Peter, James, and John. And, and so they, 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 they criticized him for not being there. They challenged his authority. And then also we see that they even criticized his physical appearance. Now, in fairness, we, we do have a second century description of what the Apostle Paul looked like. Listen to this description. According to this description from the second century, the Apostle Paul was short, bow-legged, had a unibrow, a hooked nose, squinty little eyes, a bald head, and a hunchback. What we are saying is that he was not going to win uh, People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive anytime soon. But nevertheless, they, they, they criticized his appearance. We know that because in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, they said his personal presence is unimpressive. And not only that, but they also criticized his public speaking ability. You know, he wasn't dynamic. He, he wasn't entertaining. He, he, he wasn't captivating. You know, and, and, and so they continued and they said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, they said, and his speech is contemptible. We're talking about the Apostle Paul, of all people. Now, in the same way, listen, in modern day times, it's been well said that, that on Sunday afternoons, all across this nation, there is restaurant after restaurant after restaurant uh, where, where churchgoers are, 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 are sitting there and they're having roasted preacher for lunch. <laughs> now, you know, I'm sure that the Corinthians probably called this constructive criticism. You know, you know we, we've all had some constructive criticism, right? And by the way, ever notice that the constructive criticism only feels constructive to the person giving the criticism? 
You know, it's, it's been said that, that constructive criticism is when I criticize you, but de- destructive criticism is when you criticize me. It's not so constructive when the shoe's on the other foot, right? And so it shouldn't surprise us that, that the same church that was divided against each other, the same church that was attacking one another, would also attack the Apostle Paul. They were critical of the Apostle who planted and led their church. And so we have, we have Paul's view of himself, we have the Corinthians' view of Paul, but now as we pick it up in verse 3 again, and also verse 4, now we look at the only opinion that really matters. The only opinion that really matters. Verse 3 says again, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So now first of all, Paul says, it's a very small thing for me to be judged by you, criticized by you. He's saying, you know what? Your opinion of me matters like about this much, maybe less. He's like, you know, it's a very small thing for me to be judged by you. Now, now I, I highlight this because, listen, there, there are some of us who care far too much about what others think of us, the opinions of others. We just worry so much, you know, what they think of us and how they view us and, and, and their opinion of us. Listen, if that's you, listen to this. God's word says in Ecclesiastes 7.21, do not take to heart everything people say. Some of you need to hear that because, you know, uh, you, you, you need to realize that, that you can't live and die by those words. You cannot let someone with a critical spirit get you down. Listen, there's a certain personality among us where, where, where your greatest danger for survival is, is the opinions of others. What others think of you. I mean, it's just, it's just, you just care so much. I mean, you're just so eager to please. You, you, you just can't stand them to, to have this view of you. You just want them to see you in a certain way. Chuck Swindoll, in his book, Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Back, he, he tells the, the true story of a woman who, who committed suicide. And she left behind a, 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 a suicide note that only contained two words. It was like it was an unfinished note. It simply said two words, they said. They said. We don't know what they said, but it's clear that, that whatever they were saying about her, whatever their opinion of her was, it was painful enough for her to end her own life. Literally, she lived and died by the opinions of others. Now listen, as dangerous as, as it is to try to please everyone, to, 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 you know, uh, just care so much about their opinion. Listen, there's another personality that's even more dangerous, and that is the personality that's, that's overcritical of itself. Can I just have a moment of, like, confession? You know, just between you and me. Just don't tell anybody. You know, but just, you know, just a moment of honesty. You know, uh, you know can I just say that, that my self-talk, now we all have that, right? We have the way we talk to others, and then we have the way we talk to ourselves. Can I just tell you that my self-talk is, is not all that healthy? You know, I mean, for example, you know, when, when someone else in my life, when, when they blow it, when, when they make a mistake and when they mess up, you know, I, I'm usually pretty patient. I'm like, you know, hey, no big deal. It's not a problem. You know, water off a duck's back. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. But when I blow it, when I make a mistake, I'm like, you stupid idiot. You moron. What were you thinking, you, you, you big dumb, 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 dummy? <laughs> now, on that note, 
What I find interesting is is that when Paul says here, after he says in verse 3, I do not even judge myself, he then says in verse 4, for I am not aware of anything against myself. Now, I do not think that the Apostle Paul was saying that he was perfect. I don't think he was saying, I'm perfect, I'm sinless, and my stuff doesn't stink, if you know what I mean. No, I, I think what Paul was saying is this. He's saying, you know what? Your opinion matters very little. Your criticism matters very little because you don't know anything about me. You don't know me. But quite frankly, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even qualified to judge myself. Uh, you can't judge me because you don't know me. But quite frankly, I can't judge myself either because, I, I, frankly, I know less about myself than you do. And that brings us to, to the main point. At the end of verse 4, Paul simply says, It is the Lord who judges me. At the end of the day, listen, there's only one opinion of you that really matters. It doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what you think. The only opinion that really matters is, what does he think? What does he think? How does he see you? What does he think about you? What does he think about you? Well, listen to this. Psalm 139, verse 17. It says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O Lord. They are innumerable. The Bible tells us that that his thoughts are precious. Now listen, I don't know about you, but but I'm hard-pressed to think of maybe one, maybe two, maybe three good things I could say about myself. But, But his word says that his thoughts towards me are precious and that his precious thoughts towards me are innumerable. Too many to count. There's only one opinion of you that really matters. It doesn't matter how you see yourself. It doesn't matter how they see you. How does he see you? And now at that, verse 5, we're reminded that that at the end of the time, at the end of the day, the faithful will be rewarded. Paul saw himself as a faithful servant. We are servants of Christ, and the faithful will be rewarded. Verse 5, Therefore, Paul says, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So here's the idea. The idea, again, Paul was a servant, a servant of Christ. And he knew that one day he would be rewarded for being faithful. But at the same time, listen, he he knew that his reward wasn't going to be in the here and now right here, right now. No, listen, his reward was going to come when Jesus Christ came back. I think the Apostle Paul, just just like so many of us as Christians, I think Paul was looking forward to hearing those words of Jesus. In Matthew 25, verse 23, when, when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And so Paul called himself the servant of Christ. He was a servant of Christ, not the servant of the Corinthians, although he served them, but he was a servant of Christ, meaning he wasn't looking to be rewarded by the Corinthians. He was waiting for his reward from Christ. That's where it really matters. And so listen, in, in your thankless environment, in the thankless place that you're in right now, you know, maybe, maybe you're faithful to the Lord in, in your marriage, but maybe it's hard. Maybe you're, maybe you're married to a non-believer, and it's hard. Maybe, maybe they challenge you or, or maybe they mock you for your faith or maybe they, they tempt you and try to get you to do things with them that, that you really shouldn't be doing and it's so hard to remain faithful to the Lord in that environment. Or then again, maybe it's the workplace and, 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 you, and, and you have this heartless taskmaster 
And, and if you dare ask to have Sundays off so that you can worship the Lord, he might be like, hey, listen, around here, I'm God. I call the shots. You answer to me. <laughs> you know, or, or, or you know, maybe it's, it's just that, that you, 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 you're serving. You're, you're faithful. You're, you're trying to be faithful to the Lord, and you're serving. And yet, it's, it's like no matter how faithful you are, you're, 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 you go unrecognized, unnoticed, and unappreciated. Or, or worse yet, you're constantly being criticized. And you're like, you know, well, that's a fine way to be rewarded. I mean, after how faithful I've been, after all that I've been doing for the Lord, I mean, I've been doing this and giving that and sacrificing this, and this is how I get rewarded for it? Listen, you may never be rewarded for your faithfulness to the Lord in the workplace. You may never be rewarded for your faithfulness to the Lord in your marriage or even by your children. But you know what? There is coming a day where every faithful servant of Jesus Christ will hear these words, well done, Good and faithful servant, now enter into the joy of your Lord. That day's coming. But from the Apostle Paul and his, and his give and take relationship with the Corinthians, we, we learn a handful of takeaways on how we can survive our thankless environment. In fact, it's interesting. When you, when, you, when you think about this whole thing, you need to go back and, and look at the time when the Apostle Paul first planted the church in the city of Corinth among the Corinthians. When he first planted the church, we read about it in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18. And in Acts chapter 18, uh, we, we read that, that Paul was rejected and, and he was attacked. And it was in the midst of all this rejection and all of this attack in the city of Corinth that then it says in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Now, a few things. First of all, the Lord says to Paul, do not be afraid. Now, why would the Lord have to tell Paul not to be afraid? Answer, because he was probably afraid. Am I right? I mean, he, he, he's, he, he's in this city where, where he's under constant attack, constant rejection. And in the midst of all this attack, all this rejection, he, the, 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 you know, he, the Lord tells him, do not be afraid. Now, quite frankly, we have a hard time viewing the Apostle Paul as ever being afraid of anything, right? I mean, after all, wasn't the Apostle Paul the one who coined this phrase in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, when Paul said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind? I mean, the way we picture the Apostle Paul is, is that if he did have to wear a COVID mask, his would have printed on the front of it, Faith, not fear, <laughs> Right? I mean, we picture the Apostle Paul as being this bold, fiery preacher who, who, who has enough guts to stare the devil in the face and actually call him the devil. You know, we, we picture Paul as like this superhuman who, who's faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to jump tall buildings in a single bound. But the truth is, is that Paul was not the man of steel. He was just a man. And as a man, he's in the midst of this environment where there's rejection, there's constant attack. And, and it's not just the constant attack from the outside, from, from the enemies, from those who were not Christians, but it was also the constant nonstop criticism from within, among his own people, among the church that he planted. The attack on the outside and the criticism on the inside and all of it together took its toll. To where now the Lord, in, in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, the Lord has to tell Paul four things. 
Four things. In Acts chapter 18, verse 19, verses 9 and 10, first of all, the Apostle Paul is told by the Lord, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, by the way, that phrase, do not be afraid, or it can be translated, do not fear, or fear not, this is a phrase that appears in the Bible 365 times. Meaning that there is a do not fear for every day of the year in the Bible. So listen, what are you afraid of right now? You know, maybe, maybe, maybe you're afraid of, of, of the rising cost of living, uh, rising inflation, rising gas prices, rising you know, this and rising that. You know, and listen, the Bible has a do not be afraid for that. Or at the same time, maybe it's the war in Ukraine or, or political upheaval or, or social unrest. Listen, there, there, there's a do not fear in the Bible for that. Or then again, maybe you fear that you're going to go through life largely unnoticed, largely unrecognized, largely unappreciated. The Bible has a do not be afraid for that. And so here's the Apostle Paul in the context of rejection as he's in the city of Corinth, in the context of constant attack in the city of Corinth. And, and the Lord says to him, do not be afraid. That's number one. But then number two in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, after he says, do not be afraid, he says, but speak and do not keep silent. That's number two. Do not be silent. Listen, that's what fear does, right? It, it silences you. Can I tell you this morning that you are God's mouthpiece? That you are God's spokesman in the place where you are? In, in, that, in, that, in, that, in that thankless work environment, in that unappreciative household, in, in, that, in that place that you're in? Listen, you are God's mouthpiece. You are God's spokesman. He's put you there for a reason, and that's to bring him glory. Listen, the enemy, the, the devil, uh, he, he's going to do everything he can to silence you. He doesn't want you to, to be God's mouthpiece. He doesn't want you to be God's spokesman in that place. He wants you to be silent. And what's his number one tactic to silence you? Fear. All of a sudden, you're like, well, what if I lose my job if I speak up for the Lord? You know, what if, what if I have to, you know, go in with my union rep because I spoke up for the Lord? What if I lose my marriage because I took a stand for the Lord? His number one tactic to silence you is fear. And so the, the Apostle Paul is told by the Lord in his, in his fearful situation, do not be afraid, number two, and do not be silent. And then the third thing that he's told is in verse 10. When he then says, for I am with you. Listen, the chances are, the Apostle Paul probably felt very lonely in the place that he was in. In this place where he was not only being attacked from the outside by the enemies of Christianity, but he was also being attacked from the inside by the criticism of his own people. He probably felt very lonely. Like there was no one that he could turn to. An island of one. And in that lonely place, he hears these words from the Lord, and the Lord says, I am with you. In other words, Paul, you're not as alone as you think you are. I am with you. It reminds me of Moses and Joshua, where Moses is, is about to die, and so Moses is telling the, 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 the people of Israel that he cannot lead them into the promised land, that instead Joshua is going to be the one who leads them into the promised land. Now, about this time, Joshua's probably thinking, wait, what? <laughs> I, I don't know if I want to lead these people, especially after I saw how they treated you. After all the stuff you had to put up with, I mean, all the gossip and the slander and the personal attacks that they launched against you, I don't know if I want to lead these people. And so here was God's word to Joshua. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, it says, Be strong and of good courage, and do not fear or be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you, and he will not leave you nor forsake you. 
And so Joshua needed to know that the same God who was with Moses was going to be with Joshua. And listen, some of us, we, we get so consumed by our fears. We, 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 we get so discouraged that we've literally convinced ourselves that even God has forsaken us. That we're, that we're all alone. And so in the same way, we, we need to remember that the same God who was with Moses was the same God who was with Joshua. And listen to this, the same God who was with the Apostle Paul. When, when, when God said to the Apostle Paul, I am with you, the same God that was with the Apostle Paul in his thankless environment of Corinth is the same God who's with you in yours. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. And then finally, the last thing in verse 10 after he says, do not be afraid. After he says, do not be silent. After he says, I am with you. In verse 10, he says, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Now, so God's telling Paul, listen, you're not as alone as you think you are. I, I, you know, I, I have the church with you. The body of Christ is with you. Other brothers and sisters in Christ, other Christians are with you. Now, about this point, Paul's probably thinking, yeah, but that's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> You see, because part of the problem in, in, in Corinth was that the church was part of the problem. I mean, not only were, were, were they attacking each other and, 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 and turning on each other and, and, and tearing one another down when they should have been building one another up, they were also attacking him. You know, sometime back, there was a book that came out titled Unchristian by, by the author David Kinnaman. Now, in the book, David Kinnaman and his research team, they, they conducted a, a nationwide survey among young people who have dropped out of Christianity, hence the term unchristian. Just young people, ages, you know, in, in their 20s and even in their teens, who've dropped out of Christianity. And so they surveyed these, these young people nationwide, and they asked them this question. They said, how do you view Christians? What's your view of people who call themselves Christians? How do you view Christians? 85% said that they view Christians as hypocrites. Yeah, we talk about love, we, we talk about mercy, we talk about forgiveness, but we don't actually do it. And, and, and 87% viewed Christians as judgmental and critical. That we just tear one another down. Now on that note, uh, a guy named Charles Allen uh, talked about a time that he went fish, uh, fishing, it was crab fishing, with a, with a close friend of his. His, his. his friend was an avid crab fisherman, so they went out, he showed him how it was done, and, and, and Charles says that he noticed that his friend did not have a cover, did not have a lid on his crab basket. And so he turned and he said, hey, aren't you worried that the crabs are going to escape, that they're going to crawl out? He said, no. He says, he says, because as soon as one crab starts to crawl on the sides and it's just about to the top, it's just about to get itself free, the other crabs reach up and pull him back down. Sounds like a lot of churches in American Christianity. You see, what the body of Christ needs is, is less crabby Christians, less critical Christians that are pulling one another down. What we need are more encouraging Christians that are building one another up. Listen to this. The Bible says in Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Listen to this. If we are going to survive our thankless environment, especially in our day, especially in this culture, if we're going to survive this thankless environment, then we need the body of Christ. But listen to this. The body of Christ needs to behave like the body of Christ. Building one another up, not tearing one another down. Am I right? Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.